Hello, everyone. You're listening to the DSG Connect podcast. As one of the world's leading dental laboratory networks, we value connection. And in alignment with that value, the DSG Connect podcast is here to serve you. Our goal is to elevate voices in dentistry. You know the ones, world changers, innovators, disruptors, true leaders, the people making a difference and bringing world-class solutions to our industry and communities. Our guests will educate, inspire, and share what is working, how to pivot when things go sideways, and everything in between. Wherever you find yourself listening, thank you. Hello, everyone. Heidi here on the DSG Connect podcast. I am honored to have Dr. Martin Mendelson with us. Dr. Mendelson is Spear resident faculty member and Spear's executive vice president of practice growth. Prior to joining Spear, he earned his DDS from the Baltimore College of Dental Surgery, University of Maryland, and maintained a private practice for more than 10 years before ceasing to practice due to some chronic hand pain that he was having. And then Dr. Mendelson pivoted and spent several years as the Director of Education at America's Dental Lab in Clearwater, Florida. This was also followed up by positions with Vita North America as the Director of Professional Development and Clinical Business Director. He has continued into leading the industry through publications that he has written articles and lectured nationally and internationally on color, science, dentist technician communication, and his passion for personal growth through mindset and positive psychology. And these days, in addition to all of that, you will find him online doing coaching, metamorphosis training and coaching, as well as his podcast and YouTube channel. We'll talk about all of that. I'm with him today. So thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a real honor to to be here. I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into why uh, this is such a fun full circle moment for me. So thanks for having me. You are welcome. It's it's an honor. Like I said, you can share the journey of learning about self-development and mindset. Sure, absolutely. So a, as you kind of shared in my bio, uh, I've had a bit of a different uh, journey than than most of my GP colleagues. And after I ended up having some challenges with my hand, uh, I was out of work for about 13 months, believe it or not. Maybe it was 15 months now that I think about it. I ended up, as you shared, uh, having uh, the absolute honor of being involved in the dental laboratory at America's Dental Labs Clearwater, which is now DSG Clearwater. I was on the front lines. I was the liaison between the dentist and the laboratory. For several years, I was the main face of the laboratory talking about cases, if the clients had questions, if we had questions, et cetera. And little did I know that that was the beginnings of my journey on communications and coaching. I feel so blessed to have had that experience because it really showed me the one of the other sides of dentistry. And it showed me uh, very clearly, because look, we all all have our journeys and and I'm not going to say... Let's put it this way. I have a lot of passion about communication, but I'm certainly not going to tell you back in those days that I was a consummate communicator. I was, I was learning as I went and and I really learned a lot from Phil Moyer and Richard Harrell who, who were running the lab at the time that ended up leading to, to going to Vita and then coming to Spear. I've continued that journey of really attempting to better myself, to really sit in a place of a growth mindset, to put my ego aside, to understand that every experience can be of value uh, and you can choose to use that experience for growth 
if you make that choice. And so that led me to becoming a professional coach. That led me to jumping into a year long positive psychology program. You know, at the end of the day, what I've come to realize most is that we're all just people. Whether you're a dentist, a hygienist, an assistant, office manager, front office, it doesn't matter. We're all people. And whatever ends up motivating people motivates dentists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been an exciting journey. It's been a bumpy ride, uh, but I feel very blessed because of it. The bumpiest rides are the best rides. We learn the most along the way. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. I appreciate it. As you went through this journey and learned about limiting beliefs, and I think that all of us have them and like, Mm -hmm. how do we identify that? And I want to, you know, so we can overcome it. So what is something that you would identify as a limiting belief? Sure. Well, limiting belief is, is a thought that we believe uh, that's true about ourselves, other people, or the world around us that we believe is true. And many times it's not true. I'll give you an example before I give you the tool. One of my favorite examples, which is very universal, is the example of texting or calling someone that doesn't respond. And so you make up this story in your head that they don't like me, they don't value me. Maybe you even get angry and make them a villain and you know who do they think they are? And you create this limiting belief that may even start to uh, extend to yourself. I'm not valuable. I'm not good enough for them to respond to. I'm not a good enough friend, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden you find out that they had something happen in their life. Gosh forbid they had an accident. Their child was sick. Their parents were sick. Now, all of a sudden your brain completely shifts from anger and frustration to compassion. And so that's a great example of, of a limiting belief about, but about yourself, or let, let's, let's extend that to uh, patients, you know, all patients are insurance minded or all patients are this or all patients are that. Really? Is it all patients are that way? Or is it some of the patients are that way as, as Frank Spear would say. What I tried to do in my own life is to constantly challenge my thoughts. You know, one of my favorite books is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And he states, you are not the voice in your head. You're the one who hears it. And uh, recently I was just reading a book. Um, I'm still in the middle of it called You Are Not Your Brain uh, by Schwartz. And it talks about your brain versus your mind. And, you know, your brain is autonomic and your mind is you're in control of your mind and your thoughts. So, so the, the consummate question to ask yourself about a limiting belief is how true is that really? How true is that really? And, and what are some other possible scenarios that would play into the specific situation I'm in. Because you may be steadfastly convinced that this is the reality, but you have no basis for it. And if you really sit down and challenge your thoughts and think about how true is this really, what are the other possible scenarios that can lead you to start knocking down that little voice in your head that Michael Singer talks about? How do you, I mean, now that we've kind of defined it and talked about it and you've given some practical thoughts and applications for it, we love that because we want it just to be easy, right? And to be able to identify it. How do you identify that limiting belief from yourself, right? Because then we can get into these um, situations where we just have this negative real. And then like, how do you stop that and identify? Yeah, that's a great question. So 
I'll go back to the whole idea of Pavlov's dog. And mm-hmm. so, you know, Pavlov trained a dog that when he clicked a clicker, the dog salivated because he trained the dog that every time he heard a clicker, he would get food. All of us, humans and dogs included, our thoughts lead to feelings and emotions that lead to action. You, you, you set up the question perfectly because what you said was, how do we combat these limiting beliefs when we think about something and all of a sudden we, we get a sensation, we get a feeling, right? We get right. a physiologic reaction. I know one of my clients uh, talks about when, when he's getting spooled up, he, he feels it in his eyes, like his eyes get itchy. Interesting. Yeah. Other people yeah. feel it in their throat. Other people feel it in their chest, in the pit of their stomach, in their back. Uh, it, it depends for different people. Identifying that, that physiologic reaction is, is key because oftentimes our thoughts, the initial thought process is so subconscious because we've been listening to our inner roommate our entire lives that we don't even realize the thought process that we're thinking and we immediately go to the physiologic response. Mm-hmm. So for some people, it'll be the, the, the thought that's followed by the physiologic response. For other people, it's the physiologic response. What I tend to guide people to is this. The minute you get the physiologic response, understand that you're in dangerous territory because you're reacting to something based upon a thought. That's, that's just, it is what it is. Right. So when you get to that point, my advice to people is to take a step back and sincerely think about everything that could be playing into this. Because at, at the end of the day, when you're making... And, and I get this a lot when people are talking about, well, isn't that just, you know, positivity for positivity's sake? And one of my least favorite phrases is toxic positivity. There is such a thing as toxic positivity, but not in its true form. Because here's the thing, you're making conclusions based upon in, incomplete information. And so the negative possibility, or let me rephrase, the positive possibility is just as valid as the negative because you don't know what's really going on. You, ladies and gentlemen listening, have a choice. You can either choose to assume the best or you can choose to assume the worst. That's not being unrealistic, it's being optimistic. There's a difference. And so it's a choice we make about our assumptions about the actual situation, positive or negative. So. So back to your question, what do we do? We go back to our key question. How true is that really? Okay. I'll tell you personally, when I get really spooled up, believe it or not, I'll take a piece of paper and a pen out or my phone if, if that's not possible. And I sure. will literally make a pro and con list. That's a great tool. It's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly powerful because once you actually see in black and white on paper or blue and yellow, if you're using a legal pad, <laughs> once you actually see it in writing, it becomes much more real. And it takes you out of that mental space where your inner roommate is just yapping at you mm-hmm. so that you can really see it for what it is. So how true is that really? The, the, the list of positive or negative or pro and con, whatever you want to call it, are incredibly effective tools to kind of take you out of that space. That is powerful. You know, you're identifying that physical effect mm-hmm. that it's having. And then now you have a tool, you know, and I'm sure that there's several, whatever works for that individual sure. person in the moment to be able to go ahead and, and redirect their thoughts and say, okay, this is this. I love that. That's really, really, really powerful. Let's take it a, next, uh, a step further. Say mm-hmm. you're, you're sitting there with a patient and they have an implant case 
and they're giving you, you know, objections or fears, mm-hmm. maybe they're fearful, you know, what are some ways to get that, you know, say case acceptance? I, I'll actually, uh, I'll answer your question by, by taking a step backwards, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is this, if you look at the psychology of humans buying behaviors, because look, what we do is we provide healthcare. We provide oral healthcare. We provide dentistry. While at the end of the day, it is still a small business and people are buying a service because the last time I checked, there's a fee associated with a given procedure. Mm -hmm. And so there is nothing wrong with that. And what we need to understand is discussing with a patient is actually selling. And that's not a bad word. We've made it a bad word. But it's not a bad word because what true selling is, is getting to know the individual, understanding what it is they need, and then satisfying that need. How's that sound, right? I love it. Yeah. (laughs) We're providing a solution. Exactly. And so one of the things we talk about at Spear relative to case acceptance is that you have to understand that there's basically, uh, we call it the three accepts. They have to accept that it's their current position. They have situation or condition, excuse me, except it's their condition, except that they want to do something about it, and then accept that they need to fund it. Now, the word fund, everyone might immediately go to money. I actually don't teach it that way. Fund to me is time and money because time is valuable, right? The treatment planning methodology that we treated, that we teach at Spear is called facially generated treatment planning. And at the end of the day, And this is why I wanted to take a step back. At the end of the day, it's all about sharing with the patient what their current condition is, Mm -hmm. getting them to understand where they are today, right? and getting them to understand what the consequences of not doing anything about it is. Then and only then can we talk about what it is we can do to rectify the situation. You know, I I love watching Dr. Spear in seminars talk about this subject because one of the things that he talks about is please don't ever talk to a patient, use our dental speak, write everything down and hand them a treatment plan. And where does their eye go? Immediately. Where's their eye go? To the bottom right corner Mm -hmm. where the number is. The, The challenge of dealing with a patient that has an objection doesn't start there. It starts from the very beginning. And so it's all about how you communicate with the patients, how you end up establishing through photography, where they are today clinically, what can happen if they don't do something about it so that they will accept the need to do the treatment and then therefore accept the funding of the treatment, which for me is time and money. So to your question, how do you handle those objections? It all goes back to the idea of reiterating the patient's goals for their oral health and where they are today. Because look, a patient may have a treatment plan of 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, 80,000. The number's Mm -hmm. irrelevant. No one ever said all that ever has to be done at once. And so we need to get out of our heads that this, these limiting beliefs that people aren't going to accept care that may have a higher level of complexity or even a higher number to it. What what I would say to you most is the way you really handle that is by getting better at the communication elements and the treatment planning elements up front. 
That is so important. And I just want to, you know, pop in and say that I've been hearing a lot of conversations about that. Doctors finding it challenging in these times to plan a comprehensive treatment plan in a shorter amount of time, realigned yep. and rescheduled. Yep. And so I, I think that that's a really interesting point. Like, how yeah. do we do that? You yeah. Know? You know, and, and, and you bring up an interesting point, which is this, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, Captain Obvious here reporting for duty. And uh, <laughs> patients are very health conscious today more than they've ever been before, because that's all we hear about in the news. Mm-hmm. While at the same time, because of their health consciousness, they're going to want to be as efficient as possible. Now, we've done uh, everything that we do and then some to keep people safe. And the studies clearly demonstrate that dentistry is a very safe thing to do right now, which is fantastic. But yeah. we need to understand that it's in everybody's best interest to be as comprehensive as possible and productive as possible per hour, because that's in everybody's best interest. Mm-hmm. So we still have the opportunity to phase treatment, but let's not lose sight of the opportunity to be more productive per hour, which is frankly a uh, an element of want and desire by the patients because they don't want to be there more than they need to be. Everybody's so used to wearing masks these days. You know, it. even for me, I've had dental treatment recently and, and I have all the confidence in my providers, but you know, now the mask has become kind of a, a safety device, right? So you have to take that off and you're 12 inches away from another human being. And it, for the patient, it could be a little scary. So we need to embrace and realize and recognize that mm-hmm. our patients want to be effective and efficient as well. Can I tell you a little story, actually? I, I would love that. That would be, I, I think our listeners would love that. So, so I have a really good friend uh, who lives in Ohio, who's not a dentist, not a dental person. We text pretty frequently. And he, and he texted me, oh, Oh, it was like August. So well into the pandemic. He makes this offhanded comment. Oh, by the way, I broke a tooth. I'm going to go to the quote emergency clinic tomorrow and get it removed. I was like, well, first of all, I don't understand what he meant by the emergency clinic, but that's okay. Uh, if you've ever read the, the book by uh, Sheryl Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook, uh, option B, she, she talks about the concept of just showing up. And it's, it's about how she dealt with the grief of, grief of the loss of her husband. And so I chose to just show up and I picked up the phone and I said, what are you doing? I was like, what is going on with you? He said, well, it doesn't hurt, but it's broken. Well, I need to get it out, right? I said, listen, I said, I know you know that I know dentists everywhere. I happen to know somebody in your neck of the woods. Can I, would you be okay with seeing him? Mm -hmm. I'll text him, let him know you're coming. Long story short, he got in two days later. Uh, This is my my friend TJM in Columbus, Ohio. So if you're listening, TJ, hello. (laughs) And my friend went in and TJ is a, is a, a, a highly competent spirit trained doctor. He went in there, my friend, and TJ talked to him about where he was, what would happen if he didn't do anything, the benefits and consequences of treatment. My friend went from, I just want it pulled in an emergency clinic to a comprehensive phased, I'll repeat that phased treatment plan over the course of months mm-hmm. and went to the endodontist that day to have the tooth saved instead of having it removed. So- I can't think of a better example. This guy's not a dentist. This guy already made up his mind that it needed to be removed. He goes and sees someone who doesn't hold limiting beliefs, who shares with a patient what's possible. Mm -hmm. And he decided to move forward. And by the way, now he's going to go into ortho and probably perio and a whole bunch of other stuff. So this stuff is real when we get out of our own way. I love how it started with you choosing to show up. Yeah. 
you know, showing up for your friend, both friends, really showing up, for the, <laughs> you know, showing up for the industry. I mean, if he would have had that tooth pulled, he didn't know that there would have been Correct. potentially all these Correct. consequences down the line. And he had all of, all of these now benefits of healthcare added to his life. That's amazing. And also kind of pivots into the next question of clear communication, because it sounds Mm -hmm. like that's what your friend did for him and provided that comprehensive treatment plan. Would you say that clear communication part of eliminating limiting beliefs? Absolutely. You know, when you, when you're, when you're speaking to another individual that may have limiting beliefs in a a given situation. So, so let's use a dental example. Let's go off of what you were saying. So for example, let's say you have a a patient in the chair you're talking to, and let's say one of the options is root canal therapy. The individual makes a comment. Oh, I hear those are terrible. I'm sure no one's ever heard that before, right? (laughs) Nobody. So, (laughs) so they make a comment. Oh, I heard those are terrible. Well, right then and there, what do you know by that statement? You know that this individual has had some experience either personally or with another human being that has caused them to have a limiting belief that root canals equal discomfort or difficulty, whatever. One of the things I teach is the whole concept around and and how I was trained as a coach, frankly, is how to acknowledge and validate another human being, because that's one of the biggest keys to effective communication. Mm -hmm. People, remember, we're all people, right? Just want to be heard. Yes. So how many times have you ever left a conversation where you're like, what just happened there? Did they even like hear what I said, right? Right. And so there's various levels of listening that uh, maybe we can go into on another podcast. But the concept is, it's like, you know what? It makes perfect sense that you're concerned about having a root canal because this is a procedure that sounds like you've heard about or experienced before. Anybody who might've had that experience or knowledge in the past may feel similarly to you. Where does your feelings about root canals come from? Now, let's contrast that to, oh, root canals aren't a big deal, you'll be fine, right? Or, oh, we do root canals all the time, it's not a big deal. Those two statements don't acknowledge, don't validate, don't make the patient feel heard, nor do they invite the individual through an open-ended question. Notice what I did, I said, something like, uh, you know, what, what's been your experience or knowledge of root canals in the past? Right. What did I do there? I invited this individual to share the background behind their statement. Yes. That, that's, that's the key. The, the, the key in communication always and forevermore will be making people feel acknowledged and validated. Now, when you're validating somebody, you're validating their emotions. Notice I use the phrase, Anybody with your knowledge and or experience would feel that way. I didn't agree with the person, but I acknowledge, I validated that they were feeling that way. And that's key to mm. the communication process. Absolutely. I think that that is a really powerful and meaningful way to be present, communicate with your patients and make them feel safe in an environment that doesn't feel safe for a lot of, a lot of, Absolutely. even Absolutely. before a pandemic, a lot of people that's do true. not. That's true. Well, you know, it, and, th- and that kind of leads even to the interdisciplinary relationship, which would include your relationship with your laboratory. Um, mm-hmm. Amy Edmondson has talked about the concept of uh, psychological safety. 
and psychological mm-hmm. safety is, 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 and I'm paraphrasing, is that members of a given group need to feel comfortable taking risks or asking questions within the confines of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I see all, because I interact with thousands of dentists a year, I, I see all ranges of this. Again, y'all are gonna think I'm a broken record, people are people. And so these same uh, concepts flow into, if you're a GP, how you talk to your specialist. If you're a specialist, how you talk to your GP. If you're a lab technician, how you talk to the GP and vice versa. It's all the same. And if we can get on the same page or a different page potentially than where we are today, that's really when the magic happens, frankly. It is. It definitely is. And it's all a partnership and we're all collaborative and we're all learning how to do that in new and and fresh ways. Is there anything that you miss during your communications that you were able to do maybe more in person that now you've had to shift the way that you do it and you kind of miss the way that you used to do it? I would say that, um, I would say possibly different. I, I wouldn't say, you know, better, worse, or, 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 or modified. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, when, whenever I talk to anybody, and I mean anybody, whether it's a client, whether it's a friend, family, it doesn't matter. We're, we're going through a time that, you know, knock on wood, will never repeat itself again. Yeah. And none of us are mind readers. And none of us know what's going on with another human being. Assuming things about other people can get you into trouble. So to answer your question, what I've truly pivoted to during the pandemic is going out of my way to really and truly ask the question, how are you? How's your family? How's your team? Not in the, oh, hey, how you doing? No, 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 no. Truly being interested in asking how the other party is And this is important going to the whole limiting belief thing. If I don't get a response from somebody, I have no idea what's going on. It could be any number of individual things. So I think what I've pivoted most during the pandemic is to take a step back and be even more human and more concerned than I ever was before, because we have no idea what's going on in people's lives. You know, the example I use, I I had kind of a, I'm fine, but I had a freak accident last May. Uh, Our dog, our 15-year-old dog, who's now no longer with us, was drowning in our pool. I ran out to go rescue him. I fell and I struck the corner of a cement step with my chest and I broke my sternum. Oh my goodness. Now I was back, it happened to be the Thursday before Memorial Day. I didn't know I actually broke my sternum until August. Yes, I went to the ER. Yes, they x-rayed it, but they missed it. But if you interacted with me in July or, or right after Memorial Day, you wouldn't have known that I was in incredible pain because I, I hit it and I like went on with my life. And so it's an example I use around today. We need to be very, very, very careful about mm-hmm. assumption that leads to a limiting belief about they're not engaged, they're not interested, et cetera. Um, you know, it's one of my favorites these days is, oh, we're all zoomed out. We're all zoomed out of, you know, dental, CE, blah, 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 blah. And you know what my response to that is? You're not zoomed out. You're zoomed out of topics that aren't relevant to your specific situation. And if it's something that would speak to you, you'll show up all day long. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. And I think that too, people bring things up like that because they're actually missing the way that life as they knew it was. And I think we're all partly missing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, 
meeting virtually is not the same. The world that we're in is not the same. And everybody attempts to control their own lives to the best of their ability. For, so for example, in March and April, what happened? Everybody went out and magically needed two 36 rolls of toilet paper. Okay. <laughs> so and everybody freaked out. And, you know, the grocery store shelves were barren. You know, they were limiting, you know, how many things of chicken or beef or pork you could buy. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes back to uh, the concept of Julian Rotter from 1954 about locus of control. People are attempting to control anything and everything that makes them feel like they have a greater sense of control in our society today because everything feels like at times, like it's spooling out of control. My firm belief about the anti-maskers is that it is an, an effort to control something they can't. And it's a level of denial that they are choosing to exert to not wear a mask because they feel they are in control of the given situation. It's similar to why everybody bought toilet paper. And so it, it all goes together because again, broken record, people are people. It really is interesting. You know, that sense of control that we all, that we all want. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd like to pivot just a little bit. Sure. That's, that's, that's my word. Pivot. <laughs> Love it. Cause I we're like all needing word. to do it. We're all needing to do it more and more. I'd like to ask you a couple final questions. Sure. Thank you so much for all this time that you've spent with us today. I truly have enjoyed it. And I think that our listeners are, are going to get so much out of it and enjoy it as well. What's bringing you joy these days? That's a great question. What, what's bringing me joy these days is really leaning into the sense of purpose in my life. All of us on here, uh, I'm going to make the assumption, you know, are, are interacting with hu- human beings in, in some way, either directly or indirectly. Through my job at Spear, I end up interacting with thousands of dentists. We as a company interact with tens of thousands of dentists. When you assume or when you do the math rather, that dental practices on average have about 12 to 1500 patients of record. When you do the math, our little, old, our little old company that we call Spear is impacting tens of millions of people. That really gets me up in the morning. Dentists and technicians, it's the same thing because if you think about it, not only are you helping your patient base, but you're helping every single person that that patient interacts with. You're helping your team. You're helping to support the local community economically. And so it's finding meaning in what it is we're doing. Uh, What also is is giving me joy is my whole passion project around my podcasting and my YouTube channel and so forth. I'm not doing this for any other reason other than to potentially give a gift to the world that may impact one person or thousands of people. I don't really care. The, 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 the point at the end of the day is, is if I can end up impacting one person, that's, that's a good day at the office. So, so what, what kind of brings me joy and what I focus on is the greater meaning that I bring to the world through my spear job, through my passion project, through the interaction with my friends and family, and, and to really be present as much as I can. Because truthfully, when this whole thing hit, I panicked like everybody else did. Look, I'm human. I mean, we all are. But then I sat back and I thought from my own journey, look, you know, I've been through something similar before, except the last time I was all by myself. I was out of work. I had no paycheck. I didn't know where my future was going to be. I didn't know where I was going to be in a year, let alone 10. 
and I've survived. This time we're all in this together and we're gonna be okay because there's never been a dental condition that's self-resolved and our patients need us. That's really what, what keeps me going on a daily basis. So good. You are impacting our industry, you're impacting our world, and thank you for that. I really appreciate it. It's a, such a such a pleasure to talk with you. I could talk with you all day. Um, <laughs> I really could. Ditto. It's, all, it's, it's been fun. Thank you. What are some final thoughts that you have, maybe including some, some self-development resources? Mm-hmm. We are going to include your resources mm-hmm. on your website, Spear Education, direct links, all of that to your YouTube yep. channel, so doctors can tap into yep. your resources. But do you have yep. any additional resources or thoughts? I do. I do. I do. And, and, and I'm going to say that these are true for dentistry and they're true for us as people. Don't go it alone. Now is the time to reach out to people. Now is the time to be with people. Don't assume everybody else is too busy because you know what? Everybody's in the same boat. It's just the boat's different. You know, your boat may be different than my boat, but we're all in the boat. We're all rowing. And we're all trying to stay afloat. Yes. And so if you're a GP, reach out to your interdisciplinary colleagues, get together. If you're a specialist, reach out to your GPs, come together as a community. You know, dentistry still is majoritively a very solo profession, statistically. And so uh, one of the longest studies ever conducted in human history was done by Harvard University and they followed a group of undergraduate men for what was it, 75 or 79 years. And what they determined was the single greatest predictor of people's happiness and sense of well being was social connections, hands down. So by interacting with your colleagues, you are doing so not just on a clinical level, but you're doing it on a social level too. You can't extract the two. Sorry, doesn't work that way. So listen. If, if you're feeling like you're alone, you know, there's, there's, you know, therapeutic resources out there, but I would also reach out to your friends and colleagues. We as dentists have a bit of a unique profession, not a bit of a unique, it is a unique profession. And no one understands the trials and tribulations like we do. In fact, uh, Dr. Kyle Stanley out of uh, California, he and I are going to be talking this week about maybe getting together and kind of launching a Facebook group where we can be ourselves as, as dentists and dental professionals to talk about the real stuff without judgment and, and uh, uh, just to be there as a community. So reaching out to others is huge. If you feel like you're struggling clinically or you feel like you're struggling from a communication and case acceptance perspective, reach out. Whether it's SPEAR or any of the other wonderful organizations out there, There are resources out there to help you. And and what I'm going to say to everyone here is this, whether it's Spear, whether it's, you know, Doi, uh, Kois, Dawson, Pank, it doesn't matter. The minute I hear people say to me about any one of us organizations, well, you know, that's really expensive. You know what it tells me? It tells me that you're looking at it as an expense. Continuing education is never an expense. It is always an investment. Invest in yourself. Invest in your teams. Take the time. That's a whole nother topic. Take the time to invest in yourself because you do have the time if you plan it and schedule it appropriately. Everybody does. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. So why is it that some people can do X and other people can do Y? So make that investment of time. Make that investment of dollars because at the end of the day, you're going to come out in a much better place 
because you're going to have a greater level of skills, whether that skill is a communicative skill or a clinical skill, period. We're going to leave it right there. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. We invite you to subscribe to DSG Connect on iTunes or Spotify. Take a minute to refer a friend or colleague and help us spotlight this podcast by leaving us a review. In between episodes, stay connected with us. Have a topic in mind? Send your suggestions to podcast at dentalservices.net. Also, did you know we have webinars? Check them out at dentalservices.net slash edu. We believe we're stronger together. Until next time, enjoy your day.